at risk, a discussion of the dangers that patients face when physicians are replaced with non-physician practitioners. I'm Dr. Rebecca Bernard, and I am joined by my co-host and the co-author of our book, Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare, Dr. Naran Al-Ajba. Good evening. There are almost 300,000 practicing nurse practitioners in the United States. And unlike physicians who are regulated by a state board of medicine, nurse practitioners are generally licensed and regulated by their state's board of nursing, who are also responsible for monitoring the care provided by thousands of other nursing professionals in their state, including licensed practical nurses and registered nurses. Recent headlines have shown that these state boards of nursing are not always up to the task and that this improper regulation of nurse practitioners may be harming patients. Today, our guest is Dr. Amy Townsend, a family physician and a whistleblower who reported improper care being provided by a nurse practitioner in her hometown. Dr. Townsend went through incredible lengths to get the Board of Nursing to intervene, despite evidence that the nurse practitioner was harming patients. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Amy, I wanna tell you that you are a personal hero of mine. When I heard the story of what you went through to ensure patient safety, I was just amazed. Can you share that story with our listeners? Yes, ab absolutely. So, you know, um, my story with this begins uh, in uh, back in 2017, in January of 2017. Um, I had a, uh, a very close friend of mine who um, had a history of very run-of-the-mill, simple hypothyroidism, um, had been on a, a standard dose of uh, Synthroid for several years, um, but at the time was not uh, established with a primary care physician. Um, and my friend asked me if he thought that it would be okay if he went to a nurse practitioner run clinic um, just to have his routine thyroid labs checked and to have his Synthroid refilled. Um, you know, a little bit of background about me. I am a, a board certified uh, family practice physician. Um, uh, I worked shortly um, as an outpatient physician uh, for a brief period, shortly out of residency, uh, but then went into uh, hospital medicine um, and had been practicing uh, in hospital medicine for several years. Um, so anyway, my friend um, asked if it was appropriate for him to uh, go to this nurse practitioner run clinic just to have routine lab work done. Um, and, you know, my experience with nurse practitioners at the time had been mostly working with them um, on an inpatient basis. And I had had very good experiences working with nurse practitioners um, in the hospital. Um, you know, they helped me see patients. Um, I saw every patient that they saw. We worked together uh, very well as a team. Um, they were very bright individuals. And so, you know, at that point, I'd had a, a really good experience with nurse practitioners. And so I thought that it was completely appropriate um, to do, you know, run-of-the-mill thyroid tests and have um, thyroid uh, replacement medications uh, refilled by this nurse practitioner. Well, my friend proceeded to call and make an appointment um, with this clinic, um, and even prior to being seen, the nurse practitioner um, ordered um, a whole slew of lab work, um, what turned out to be 63 different lab tests before ever seeing the patient. 
Um, you know, these lab tests included things like a C-peptide, insulin levels, DHEAS, a random cortisol levels, growth hormone. Um, and so ultimately, you know, after the lab work was done, several days later, um, my friend goes to the clinic and sees the nurse practitioner. Um, in that lab, they had also run uh, testosterone levels, um, and his level was most certainly within the normal range for um, a, a man in his 40s. It was actually the level was 696, so almost 700 for a testosterone level. Um, and then the thyroid functions were also completely within the normal range. After seeing the nurse practitioner and, and them going over the labs, my friend left the clinic with a prescription for IM injections of testosterone. And his thyroid medication, the Synthroid he had been on for years and years, um, the nurse practitioner replaced with a very uh, high dose of Natrothroid. Um, you know, which includes both T3 and T4, um, and is not routinely recommended by the Endocrine Society for Hormone Replacement. And so, you know, he brought me before, you know, actually getting the medications refilled, he, he brought me the lab work and asked my opinion, you know, to look over the labs that were there and to see if the prescriptions were appropriate. Um, of course, they, they weren't, um, you know, with the nearly 700 um, testosterone, starting uh, intramuscular injections of testosterone was completely inappropriate. Um, and, you know, I, I, was, I was very upset with the treatment. Um, you know, testosterone and thyroid hormones are not benign medications. Um, they do come with a very significant risks of, you know, cardiovascular disease, uh, risk of stroke, risk of things like polycythemia um, that were never discussed um, with the patient. And so I, I actually called this nurse practitioner and, and, you know, tried to discuss with him, you know, what his treatment plan. And I, I was um, very disappointed in his response. You know, at this point, I had been practicing medicine uh, for 10 years um, and uh, was at that point was also um, the vice president of medical affairs for a regional hospital system. So clinically, I was working as a hospitalist. Um, but also had, you know, relatively extensive, you know, background in, you know, hospital administration as well. And his response was, um, you know, almost overwhelming to me that he, um, you know, as a nurse practitioner, he would, he, he essentially um, claimed that I did not know what I was talking about um, and that I just didn't understand hormone replacement. Wow. So basically, he was totally condescending to you when you reached out to him with your concerns. You knew that this was inappropriate treatment, that it could harm your friend. And his response was, well, you just don't know what you're talking about. Yes. And so I, I next asked, you know, of course, in the state of Texas, um, every uh, non-physician um, is required to have a supervising physician. So I asked for the name of his supervising physician. And then to my surprise, when I actually contacted her, she was not an endocrinologist, not even a family medicine physician, but she was a general surgeon that was actually located 140 miles away from this clinic. So pretty hard to actually be performing supervision when you're not in the same specialty and you're not in the same locality. Yes, yes. And so, um, you know, I, after speaking with her, um, you know, I expressed my disappointment and um, essentially told her, you know, either 
you can uh, with, withdraw that supervision um, or, you know, I would, was going to consider reporting her to the Texas Medical Board um, for not, you know, for not properly supervising what was going on in the clinic. I, I want to tell you, I want to stop for a second because I'm really proud of you because like I have a situation right now where I'm really concerned about a physician in my community, a specialist, just letting his PA see patients. And I realize that I need to have a direct conversation with him. And I'm very, I'm not excited about it. I mean, that must've been really hard for you to call up another physician and actually just kind of call her out on what she was doing. I mean, do you have any advice for how, how I can do that or the rest of us can do that? You know, I mean, I think what, what partially was the driving factor for me is this was a physician that was not even part of our community um, that really had no um, investment in uh, the community itself and really had no concerns about the consequences of, you know, what was going on and, and who, was, who was being harmed in, in my community. I think this is uh, something that I personally want to, I want to learn from you and get that bravery. And, and I think we all need to speak out when we see things like this, because uh, otherwise it's just going to continue. So you basically let that supervising physician know that you were going to be intervening if she didn't do something. And so mm -hmm. what happened next? So she essentially, she did, she withdrew her supervision that same day. Um, she retracted her um, prescriptive authority agreement that day. And I thought, well, well, great. You know, at least um, we, we've kind of put a stop to this. Um, but unfortunately, within a week or two, um, they were able to find yet another supervising position. Uh, the second, the second... Yeah. Can I just ask you on the phone, was, was this, did the surgeon have any explanation? Did she? Uh, yes. Yeah, so this is one of, one of her, one of her comments that I think um, rubbed me the wrong way the most was she essentially said that she really had no responsibility for um, what the nurse practitioner was actually doing in that clinic. Um, I mean, she did not feel any obligation to be controlling, you know, what, what they were doing or really providing any supervision of, of the prescriptions that were coming out of the clinic. Wow. Wow. I just, that's to me amazing. And these are, this is the kind of thing that nurse practitioners sometimes complain about that physicians are, they're paying them for collaboration or supervision and they're just nowhere to be seen. They're just cashing a check. I think in this case, the nurse practitioner was okay with minimal supervision because uh, they really weren't looking for a lot of advice from a doctor. And anyway, so the doctor, and that's something that is, we, we do need to talk about and we do need to absolutely. point out. Absolutely. And that's why Amy calling that, that physician out, it was, was so inspiring to me Amazing. and something that we really need to be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, well, much to my dismay, you know, I thought, well, okay, this is going to solve the problem. Um, but again, I mean, they were able to find within a week or so, they were able to find another supervising physician. Again, this was not a, a physician within our community. Uh, this was an, uh, an obstetrician, an OBGYN, um, who uh, was over 200 miles away from the, the, from the, from the clinic this time. Um, so, you know, there, there weren't, there wasn't much of a barrier there um, for, uh, you know, proper uh, supervision um, or even trying to stop practices that were obviously dangerous to the community.
So here you are, you already have red flags. You uh, are really concerned about this. And then the next thing that happens is you hear about a bad outcome for a completely different patient. Right. So, so all of that transpired in, in, you know, January of 2017. And then in February of the, towards the end of February of 2017, and I had kind of let it go at this point. I, I you know, I thought that I had mostly kind of addressed the problem. Um, but in February of, of 2017, I actually learned um, that um, a, a gentleman in his 40s um, had actually passed away um, and was being seen at the clinic. Um, and then having a conversation, you know, in doctor's dining within the hospital and within, you know, our, our medical colleagues um, actually learned of, of not just the one, but a second death. So Brad Gilbo at 47 passed away on February 23rd. And then on February 25th, another gentleman named Brad, uh, Jeffrey Childs um, at the age of 44 um, also passed away. And so at, at this point, um, you know, there was, there was discussion that both of these gentlemen had been seen um, at this same clinic. Um, and the kind of circumstances around their death really pointed towards, you know, issues with testosterone overdose. Um, and so at that point, I, I did not feel like it was something that I could, you know, sit back and do nothing. So that was the point that I decided to actually file um, a true complaint with the nursing board and um, send in a formal complaint, um, not only with the details of, you know, my friend's situation where the, the, the prescription for testosterone was completely inappropriate, um, but then also told them of, of these two deaths of these, uh, you know, gentlemen, both again, in their, in their mid forties that had died and were being seen at this clinic. So you made a formal report. In Texas, nurse practitioners are supervised by the Board of Nursing, as they are in most states. And uh, did you get any response from the Board of Nursing about your concerns? So, you know, initially I got the standard response. You know, they received the complaint and that they were going to, um, you know, investigate things. Um, you know, again, in my position, though, working as a hospitalist um, and um, also in hospital administration, I began to hear about additional adverse events. They weren't necessarily deaths, um, but additional adverse events that were showing up in the emergency room that were uh, patients that were also connected to this, to this clinic. And so I, you know, um, on, I would say, nearly a monthly or, um, you know, at least every couple of weeks, I was reaching out to the nursing board trying to get them to understand how severe um, you know the situation was, and that there were there were patients that were um, actively still being harmed um, because they had not taken action yet. Right. So, like two patients have already died that you know of that you're concerned about, and you're scared. Like, hey, how many more people have to die before something's going to happen? So you actually drove to the capital of Texas to Austin. How how many miles is that from where you live? So um, it's about a five-hour drive from, from wow. where I'm located at. So, so you, you were getting the runaround so much that you just had enough. You yes. got in your car. You drove five hours from your town to Austin, Texas. And did you have an appointment or you just showed up? What happened? I, I had actually called ahead of time and, and set up an appointment with the executive director and the investigators at that point. Um, but even prior to that happening, um, so the, the local news stations had caught wind of this clinic. 
they had had several people that had had adverse events and had gone to um, a local law firm and had filed, you know, complaints with this law firm um, and the, the local news station got involved. The nurse practitioners that were working at the clinic had heard that uh, there was going to be a story on the local news. So they actually went to the competing news station and provided them with a letter from the nursing board. Um, it, and it looked very formal um, that basically said, yes, complaints had been lodged against them, but um, no wrongdoing had been found. Well, it turns out that they had actually altered that document, that they added the sentence that said no wrongdoing had been found. And the nursing board at that point had, um, you know, discovered that he had presented this to the public as a nursing board document. And so the nursing board finally took action and filed um, formal charges and cited not only the three cases that I had presented them with, but another 10 cases that had been filed six months before I'd actually filed my complaints. So there were 13 cases of mismanagement um, that the, the nursing board did not take action until he, not because these, these cases were there, but because he had um, presented a falsified document from the nursing board. Wow. And it actually ended up taking something like, wasn't it about a year from where yes. this case was first reported to the Board of Nursing before they actually finally made formal charges? Yes. So after they made the, the formal charges is when I decided, you know, I just couldn't understand how could you cite that there were two deaths that were involved with this clinic. And, uh, you know, even though they had had filed these charges and made these complaints, um, they did not uh, prevent the nurse practitioners from continuing to practice. The, the clinic was still going in, in full force. There were still people that I was hearing about, you know, showing up in the ER with adverse events. Um, so that's when I decided to go down to the nursing board and have, you know, a, a direct conversation with them. Um, and, and this is probably the most shocking thing, um, you know, of this whole situation. So as I'm talking to the nursing board and the executive director, you know, I, I said, I just don't understand. I don't understand how you can say that they are at least partially responsible for these two deaths and yet you're still allowing them to practice. And they looked at me dead in the eyes and said, you know, Dr. Townsend, doctors are just busy. And we have not been able to find an expert witness to actually review the cases and move this forward. And I just sat there in complete shock. How can a regulatory board not have the basic steps in place to actually remove people when they are harming the community? That, that's just um, something that is completely unacceptable and something that really opened my eyes to the, to the entire situation. Well, you know, you said something that I quoted you in the book because I thought this was a, such a brilliant statement. You said, the Texas Board of Nursing seems incapable of dealing with nurses practicing medicine. They don't have a basic foolproof process to deal with nurse practitioners who are dangerous. And I think that you're, you're, what you describe is exactly right. Um, this is a person that had already been sanctioned or had been charged with harming patients, and yet he continued to practice what I would consider as nursing, uh, what I would consider as medicine. They call it advanced nursing, but it's really prescribing very uh, high risk and dangerous medications. And no one was stopping him from doing this, and patients didn't know better, and patients were being harmed. 
And actually, I would go even further. He he wasn't. He was not only practicing medicine. He was practicing endocrinology. So. Yes. So my dad was an endocrinologist. So this always kind of gets to me because it's one of those specialties where um, you do you do a lot of retesting. I, I still remember my dad saying, "Oh, well, that TSH is off." You know, with labs, we're taught in endocrine. We just we double check that one lab again or whatever it is. And it's a it's a careful specialty, and you know you're deliberate in your decision making. And what I find fascinating is you have a nurse practitioner, um, and I. I don't know if he was a family nurse practitioner um, or not. Yes. Okay. So you have a family <laughs> nurse practitioner practicing endocrinology. And well, to be honest with you, what I also, with the second half of this is we had endocrinologists and family physicians who were using growth hormone for sort of feelings of vitality and some of that prescribing it to patients. Not a single patient was harmed. And those physicians in Washington state lost their licenses mm-hmm. with wow. no patient harm. That's, I mean, that's some of the hypocrisy. Yeah. And so- that is some of the hypocrisy in all this. You know, here you've got a board of medicine that's saying, wow, that's outside of the scope of your practice in medicine. So we're going to just take your license and you're going to need to go to classes and have this sort of um, stepwise thing. And, and, and the thing is, we've got someone who's not trained doing now endocrinology and actually people are dying and we're right. not doing anything. And they're, they're not only not trained, but they advertise themselves as hormone specialists. There are actually documented, um, you know, photos from their Facebook page that they advertise themselves as hormone specialists. And meanwhile, this is endocrinology, which is endocrinology. And meanwhile, this is a nurse practitioner who not only is family, but also he attended online nurse practitioner training. Yes. And he was, I think, maybe a year or so out of training when he was doing the, this type of prescribing. So um, there's a lot of red flags. And, you know, you point out that the board of, you know, the the differences between the way the board of medicine sanctions doctors and the board of nursing, you know, a lot of times we hear it said, well, you know, there are bad doctors too. And that is true. But there are definitely more interventions that are occurring more aggressively towards physicians. And I think one of the reasons is the structure of the boards. So I'll use as an example, Texas, since that's the state where this happened. Um, There are... um, 452,000 nurses in Texas. There's 26,000 of them are nurse practitioners, 320,000 are registered nurses, and 106,000 are licensed practical nurses. On the nursing board, there are 13 people that are in charge of those 452,000 nursing professionals. But the Texas Board of Medicine has more members, they have 19 members, and they supervise 79,000 physicians just a fraction. So how in the world can a board be expected to be responsible for this number of professionals and do a good job? And obviously they can't. Right, right. Obviously they can't. I mean, ultimately I ended up finding them an endocrinologist to review these cases. It fell on me to actually provide them with a physician, an expert physician to review these cases. Basically, you're like a good Samaritan that came in there and did this job unpaid, uncompensated, simply because you were worried about patient safety and you were doing the job that should have been done by the Board of Nursing if they're going to allow nurses, nurse practitioners to prescribe, especially these potentially, and in this case, deadly medications. 
Well, you know, I think there's an element though that we should talk about because this is such a great example of, you know, the physicians who were complicit in this. And, mm-hmm. and so often, you know, when we're doing this, even, even in our book, we talk about, you know, uh, Dr. Brent Wilson and Jeffrey Reams who were complicit in this process of hiring someone not trained mm-hmm. to be working in a position. And so what I, what I find so interesting is these other physicians involved that would just sign off on a clinic. They've never been there. They're not, you know, working face-to-face with a non-physician. And, and that's not being against, in my opinion, we are not against this, this profession of nurse practitioner or physician assistant, but I think we owe a duty of care to patients that if our name is going to be signed on as a supervising physician, that then we take that care seriously. Yeah. So, and that, that was yeah. one of the other things that was a complete eye-opener um, to me was that um, you know, that there were physicians out there that were willing to, you know, to, to compromise uh, the quality of care. Um, and some of them are doing it um, just um, for financial benefit. And uh, we do, we as physicians need to continue to speak out against that and hold our own accountable. Absolutely. But I will say that experienced any backlash at all, Amy, from kind of doing this and standing up. I mean, I'm so proud of you. I'm so impressed by your bravery. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I mean, I was so frustrated with the whole situation that there was no way that I was going to, um, you know, back down and and continue to see people in in the community that were hurt. I don't, I, I mean, I just, you know, it was something that, that wasn't even an option to, to, to quit. Um, you know, but it, as far as backlash from the physicians, no, I did not get any backlash from the mm-hmm. physicians. I did get a lot of backlash from um, staff that worked at the clinic. Um, and surprisingly, this um, nurse practitioner was very involved in, in a church. And the, 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 the congregation and the church members actually um, gave me a lot of backlash um, and, and, and very um, uh, unpleasant uh, experience and, and uh, attempts to um, attack my character. Well, you know, oh Noran and I have talked, we talked in the book about how so many times patients don't really see the the dangerous side, the safety side. They see that somebody cares about them, someone is being nice to them, trying to make them feel better. And I think in this case, Kevin Morgan wanted his patients to feel more of a sense of vitality and healthfulness. And indeed, the patients must have felt better because they followed up and they kept going back. And, you know, patients often don't know that they're being mistreated or receiving the wrong care and that it can harm them. They often just see the side of it that this is a nice person, a caring person. And, and you hate to be the bad guy, but uh, patients aren't, don't have the privilege of knowing that this could potentially kill them. And unfortunately, that's where sometimes we have to be the bad guys and, and tell them the hard truths that they don't always want to hear. That's, that's tough. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I want to just make a few points about some other states because we've talked a lot about Texas, but Texas is not the only state where this problem has happened. Um, Recently, California Board of Nursing made headlines because uh, in 2016, they had such a significant backlog of complaints that the system allowed a nurse who was accused of uh, contributing to the death of a child to continue to practice for over three years. And just this year, the board was accused of falsifying documents to make it appear as if complaints against nurses were being investigated in a timely fashion when indeed they were not. 
In Tennessee, the Board of Nursing allowed a nurse practitioner to practice even after state attorneys recommended that her license be revoked. She was one of top, uh, Tennessee's top opioid prescribers, accused of prescribing massive amounts of controlled substances. She defended herself to the nursing board by pleading ignorance and saying she was simply refilling prescriptions, and she just later learned that the doses were too high. And then in New York, a, a nurse who was attending a nurse practitioner school reported her online school to the Board of Nursing in New York for failing to um, follow the recommended, the, the requirements in New York for the educational uh, preceptorship and just the educational lessons. And she basically got nowhere and the, 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 the Board of Nursing closed the case. So I just bring these up as just some examples of the fact that boards of nursing across the country are struggling. And as we continue to allow independent practice, there are a lot of concerns about whether they're capable of actually making sure that improper nurse practitioners are not uh, practicing and potentially harming patients. Amy, what advice would you have for any physician who's listening to this podcast about what to do if they find themselves in a similar situation? You know, I, I think the biggest struggle for me was the feeling of, um, of being alone and not having a lot of support. You know, even discussing the situation with a lot of my physician colleagues in the community, they all knew that this was going on, but no one was willing, I think, to step up to the plate and, and actually do something about it. And we need to... Um, reach out to each other, I think, and support each other um, in, in holding people accountable um, and upholding, you know, the medical standard of care um, in each of our communities. I think that coming together is so important and having the solidarity. Um, I'll point out that Amy and I are both board members of Physicians for Patient Protection, and um, one of the things that's so important about this group is that it does provide a place for us to talk to each other, to provide support for each other. I think, Amy, that might have been one of the ways you were able to find an endocrinologist to help testify was through that group. So if you're a physician out there listening, I really want to encourage you to join our group officially, and you can find out more about us at our website, physiciansforpatientprotection.org. Org. So please join us there. And uh, we also encourage you if, to learn more about this important issue to get our book. It is called Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare. It's available in print at Barnes and Noble and in Kindle at Amazon. Thank you so much. We're going to invite Dr. Amy back to talk again with us at uh, a, an upcoming podcast. Please subscribe anywhere that you listen to your podcasts and also at our YouTube channel, uh, Patients at Risk. Mm -hmm.